0: So, guys, we'll continue with the series we started on two weeks ago. So, we've been doing this series called Wilderness 40. Wilderness 40. And today we'll talk about majesty because we said, um, we ended last week saying that um, the starting point for all confidence is um, majesty. And so we'll um, talk about that. So we continue with the series. So here's what we've been doing for those um, who don't remember. We are following the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, uh, preparing for the soon coming post-COVID world. Most companies are, most nations are, most governments are, airlines are. Everybody's preparing for the post-COVID world because it'll be different. Perhaps the people that aren't preparing for the post-COVID world um, are the church, and so we've been following the spirit into the wilderness, preparing for the soon coming post-COVID world. And so, over the last few weeks, or at least over the last two weeks, the plan has been to draw aside, and in drawing aside, um, our intent is, in drawing aside, our intent is uh, that we. Become spirit dependent. In drawing aside, our intent is that we become spirit dependent. And by drawing aside, it, it means different things to different people. Some of you, and I marvel at this, eh, that some of you are actually um, spiritually quarantine, quarantining yourself. Some of you are fasting. Some of you are practicing spiritual disciplines that. You had not paid much attention to in the past. So I marvel at how seriously you are drawing aside, locating the Holy Spirit, and being affected by him. I didn't expect that. And so bless you for that. As I hear stories of what you're doing and how you're setting yourself aside, awesome, man. Because truth is learned through practice and repetition. Truth is learned through practice and repetition. Truth is not learned through hearing. Hearing is the first step. But thereafter, it's learned through practice and repetition. And so the plan is to draw aside. Why draw aside? Because just like the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, over the next six weeks, we are following the Spirit of God into the wilderness so that we may draw aside. And once you do that, you will come back Spirit-dependent. You'll come back with an overwhelming revelation of God, an overwhelming revelation of God, Because anyone who is led by the Spirit to go into a time where you draw aside, I go into the wilderness, they always return having encountered God in a way they've never encountered Him before. And we talked about that. And we are drawing aside so that we may return, so that we may return with power to do what? To restore and to seed the earth that awaits us when COVID lifts. If corporate, com- if corporate um, institutions and governments can prepare themselves for a time such as this, where they begin to think along the lines of, so once COVID lifts, how do we restore things? Or what does normalcy look like? How do we once again begin to seed our clientele in a way that will bring back returns? In the same way, that God is thinking far ahead of it, eh? And so if we can begin to see what God wants us to do, the church can begin to position itself. Because there is, and we won't talk about this today, but there is something called a post-COVID landscape that awaits us. And the post-COVID landscape will only be taken by a church or by churches, and God wishes that every church do so, by churches who position themselves. Otherwise, the only thing that will come out of uh, COVID for most churches will be a better live streaming system. And that just sucks if that's all that comes out of it. Any questions? Any questions, guys? No? Okay. Guys, remember, there has never been a time like this. I keep repeating that every... uh, time we meet this way there has never been a time like this when the entire earth came to a standstill it is not a god thing god does not create sabbaths for the earth by removing a few hundred thousand from the face of the earth he does not create sabbaths by sending diseases that affect 20 million it is not god that's not god's way of creating rest i'm categorically stating it because that's the other thing that's happened with churches across the earth eh? we either are, have distorted views of what is happening or we are echo chambers of the person that we uh, listen to most and yet we have to look at the nature of god to figure out what is really happening and so if this is one of those world stopping events then trust me man when God goes to play he'll play for big keeps now that it's his turn and so a post-COVID world awaits and if churches can position themselves well they begin to um, reap dividends for the next 10 or 20 years and over the next four or five weeks we'll set ourselves up so that we are standing correctly in terms of what God wants to do with us and when I say us I'm talking about anybody who's listening and the other churches that we're connected with in different parts of the world because I'm having these conversations with India with South Africa with UK with different places right now so today we start with this idea of governed by his majesty as in if one of the things we have to do as we um, get ready for whatever God plans and it's not like whatever God plans God has a plan our intent is to get a hang of it and then begin to work it out so this is not kesar god has a plan we've already had glimpses of it we know what awaits over the next few weeks we lay it out so that it becomes plain so this is very deliberate eh? it's very intentional and so one of the things we want to look at today is how do we get to a place where we are governed by majesty as in Can we get to a place where what controls our life is the majesty of God? You'll be surprised at how critical that is to our existence, to our walk, to the way we see things. To be governed by majesty. Where we can say that we serve at the pleasure of the king and we speak and act on his behalf. That we do not take our cues from the world. We do not take our cues from the world. But we serve at the pleasure of the king and we act and speak on his behalf. Let me say that again because one of the things that's going to happen as we go further and further into the year is that the world will tell us what cues to follow. They'll tell us how things are going to happen, what we should do. Uh, And I'm saying to you, the point is not defiance. The point is to hear what the God of heaven says about things and then take our orders from him and speak and act on his behalf because God needs to speak and he speaks through a people. Show me one incident in the Bible, be it the flood, be it when they entered the promised land, be it when the Holy Spirit came, be it when Jesus ascended, be it before he died, be it after he died. Show me one place in the Bible where there was an event that was earth changing where God did not announce his intent. One place in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, where God did not announce his intent. He always announces his intent and he announces it through his body. And it's not a mixed message. It's a very clear clarion call, as in, this is what I'm doing. Now, you want to join me? Any questions? Okay. So let's look at Psalm 8. We'll start at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. It starts with the opening line, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the first, O oh Lord, is actually Yahweh, and the second Lord is Adonai. So what the psalm writer is saying is, O oh Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. He starts with this idea of majesty. And then as we go further down the psalm, you'll begin to kind of grasp what majesty looks like. Psalm 8 starts with, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the word used is Yahweh. And Yahweh basically means the self-existent one. The self-existent one. Unrivaled. Undefeated. From whom all things source life. Everything that exists is sustained, is sourced, originates, has life. Everything, everywhere, depends for life on him. This is how sovereign he is. eh? So it's very deliberately that the word Yahweh is used there. The self-existent one, who if he wants can think and cause existence to cease. He does not even need to speak. He can bring things into non-existence sheerly by thinking it, leave alone speaking it. One of the songs that tries to capture it is Alpha and Omega. You are Alpha, as in you are the first, and Omega, as in the last, and everything in between. That comet we saw will come back 6,800 years from now, because it has an orbit that is so, so large that it'll take 6,800 years to come back, and the universe isn't even touched. In terms of its outer expanse. This is a God who sits far above, far beyond, far more expansive than the universe we can think of. And then the writer says, oh Yahweh, self-existent one, unrivaled, undefeated, from whom everything, everywhere, seeks and finds and depends for life on. That is who we are talking about. we don't necessarily think so we miss out on majesty guys just because our minds cannot comprehend majesty is not a good enough reason not to comprehend majesty this is a problem with instruction manuals from ikea right you look at it and you think eh, not even worth it you can do that with ikea you can't do it with i am right toony So what is majesty? What is majesty? Uh, It's so hard to take a a word or a line and say, this is majesty. Let me give you an example. Uh, Some of the lines from the song, So Will I, uh, give you an idea of majesty. Uh, I mean, sing along. We'll sing it along, sing sing it twice, and you'll get an idea of what majesty is. Uh, There's just one glimpse, and we'll talk about it. this song is able to capture, is this idea of majesty. So, I'll
1: just let us sing it and you can sing along. Uh, you might have to wing it on your own. Yeah. God of creation, With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets born. If the stars are made to worship, so will I And as you speak A hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said if it reveals your nature so will I And as you speak a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life, so I could find it here If you left the grave behind you, so will I And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath the planet's form. if the stars were made to worship so will i and as you speak a hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If it all reveals your nature, so will I And as you speak A hundred billion failures disappear Where you lost your life so I could find it here If you left the grave behind you so will I
0: See how humongous this God is, eh? This song always makes me think nothing is impossible Anything God can do, anything And this is just a glimpse of what majesty is What else is majesty? How about John 13, one to three, where Jesus knowing where he had come from and where he was going, strips to the point where he's just got a towel around his waist. And he, the same one who spoke a hundred billion galaxies into existence now has the ability to come and wash my feet. That is majesty. The same one who speaks a hundred billion galaxies, the same one whose breath gives life now, washes my feet. This is what majesty looks like. Zechariah 9 9 Behold, your king comes riding on a donkey. He could have come any which way he wants, man. Things exist because he allows it and he comes riding on a donkey. Behold daughter of, behold, Zion, your king comes riding humble on a donkey. Or you go to Mark 15, verse 16 to 20. It's an odd thing, this majesty, man. It's nothing like people of the world think majesty is Mark, Mark 15. Mark 15, 16 to 20 here's what it says this is majesty the soldiers led jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers they put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him and they began to call out to him hail king of the jews again and again they struck him in the head on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes on him, and then they let led him out to be crucified. This is what majesty looks like. Majesty also looks like Isaiah 6. In the year of Kung, King Uzziah, I saw heaven open and I saw... Th- th- The Lord seated on his throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. There were angels flying around and the place shook and was filled with smoke. And I heard a voice saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Heaven and earth are filled with his glory. Oh, don't you for a second think that is not majesty either. This is why you can't take a word, a phrase, a sentence and put it together and create this majesty. It is so many things put together, man. And the more you become aware of it, the more you recognize the length and breadth of what the king of kings can do on the earth through you. You look at Revelations 4.10 and you begin to have an idea of what it really looks like now. Revelations 4.10, it says, they laid their crowns before the throne and they said, you are worthy It starts in verse 1. After that I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me said, come up here and I'll show you. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Then we go to verse 10. And it says, they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. By you were they created and by you do they have their being. Go to Revelation 5.10. And in Revelations 5.10, you see again, uh, you, uh, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth, under the earth and in the sea and that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb we praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever how do you capture this majesty man you got to put all this together before you begin to fathom majesty and this is a real place eh? there is a throne there is the majestic voice. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, it says so. In Hebrews, in 2 Peter 1:17, it says so. In Hebrews 8, 1, here's what it says. That there is an actual place. And Jesus went there. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, it says, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. As in, there is God the Father. He does dwell on a throne and there is the right hand of majesty you go to second peter 117 this isn't some fiction second peter 117 no second peter yeah second peter oh i'm in first peter second peter 117 and here's what it says Um, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased there is this voice that comes from the place of majesty man that if you and I can listen it will give us the kind of courage that you and I cannot have in any other way listen in it's not a thundering voice sometimes it's a whisper but you can hear sometimes you're so um, so flippant with yeah I think the Lord said to me no man this is the majestic voice from a place Call the throne of God that sometimes speaks to you. Yes, he spoke this and people wrote it. But if you think God has stopped speaking, that's so sad. We just dumped God down. He actually still does. So when people tell you it's good to sing and spend time before God, it's not because he wants a couple of songs before he speaks. It is because when you enter this place of majesty, it is natural to break out in spontaneous worship. Catch a glimpse of him before you sing. To sing before you catch a glimpse of him is like sawdust. To catch a glimpse of him and then sing is like nightingale or whatever fancy bird that sings. Catch a glimpse of him before you sing. Catch a glimpse of him before you speak and it changes everything. Praise and worship in a church should never be a time where people come in and the worship leader gets them going so that they can catch a glimpse of God by the last song. You should come here having caught a glimpse of him and come here saying, why doesn't Jane begin? Because I can't wait. And it doesn't matter then whether the sound is ready or the piano is playing right or Jane's singing well. Hebrews 1.3 It says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the invisible God, the exact image of the invisible God. And that he having... Uh, sustained the universe with his words and having made purification for our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty. Again, there's this whole thing of sitting down at the right hand of majesty. But that's not the good news. That's just where he dwells. The good news is this, that in Ephesians 2.6 it says, And now Jacob, you are seated with him in heavenly places. This axis is real, guys. It's real. It's real. If you believe that there is a throne that the Father sits on, if you believe that there is at his right hand a place where Jesus sits, then you must also believe that, <laughs> that there's a place there for you. And that people in the body of Christ must learn How to live heaven towards earth instead of earth towards heaven. We're always looking up for crumbs when you can actually be sitting with him and seeing what he wants done. These are the kinds of churches that will really thrive in a post-COVID landscape. any questions so why be governed by majesty why be governed by majesty because if you want to function on earth you have to be like uh christ himself and christ was a king and he was a priest why be governed by majesty because to function on earth the body must have the nature of the king priest the body must have the nature of the king priest Everything we do is because Jesus did it. On earth, everything we become, everything we do, is because that is how Christ walked the earth. And therefore, that is now his expectation of how his body will walk the earth. I know it's hot, guys, but um, try and listen and um, somehow survive. And then you can go home and listen to it again. But if you want to function, if, uh, not if you want to function, there's a demand on us to function as the body of Christ, just like the head, the Christ, function. How did he walk the earth? That is what God's expectation is of the body. That Listen, if Jesus walked the earth this way, this is my expectation of you. And Jesus walked the earth as a king priest. So if you look at Psalm 110... You'll find it in the Old Testament. You'll find it in the New Testament. Psalm 110, verse 2 and 4. It's speaking of him. And it says in Psalm 110, verse 2. It says, the Lord will extend. And this is David talking about Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord. It's David talking about Jesus. And so... In verse 2 it says, the Lord will extend your scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There is this need for us to grasp the fact that if the body of Christ is to function the way it's supposed to function on the earth, then it has to be both king and priest. We'll expand on that later, but... This is something we need to understand. Because if we, are, if we are not governed by majesty, we do not know what it is. Look at Hebrews 7.1. Hebrews 7.1. Talking about Jesus again. Hebrews 7.1. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness and the king of Salem. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or end of life, like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. God sent Jesus to walk the earth, both as a king and a priest, in the likeness of Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. Let's look at Revelations 1.6. Because if Jesus is like that, does he demand that of us? Revelations 1.6. I know it's easier to listen to teaching when there's no scripture, but unfortunately, this one has a whole lot of scripture. Revelations 1.6. Well, or let's start at uh, uh yeah, 1-6. It says there. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be kings and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. So now we're talking about the body of Christ. And it says, hey, I've made you kings and priests. Let's go to Revelations 5.11. Revelations Uh, 5.11. 5.10. A five nine. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men. And this is talking about the body of Christ. Men for God from every tribe, language, people and nation. You have made them to be kings and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Let's look at one more. Look at um, 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. Famous scripture. 1st Peter 2 9 but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation I'm glad he's inviting us to step into this place man and it's not a new idea it's not a New Testament idea it's an Old Testament idea Exodus 19 verse 5 Exodus 19 verse 5 Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, I love this. He's saying this to Israel. Israel didn't make it. So now he turns to us and says, hey, you guys can make it because I live in your midst. And he says, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He said that thousands of years ago, man. This is what he's inviting us to step into. And oh, By the way, when Adam was created, majesty is what God clothed Adam with. It says that I gave him glory and honor. The way the message puts it in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, is that he clothed Adam with Eden's dawn light. Clothed Adam with He clothed Adam bright with Eden's dawn light. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. That was what he clothed Adam with. Why? Because Adam was supposed to be his vice regent. He was supposed to be his, his deputy here on earth. He was supposed to steward the earth on God's behalf. This isn't something he's holding on to himself for. This was what Adam and Eve were clothed with, with honor. With glory, with bright Eden's dawn light. How we've been robbed, man. How we've been robbed. I was watching, um, on BBC, I was watching this um, documentary on slums in Manila, Philippines. uh, It was was so painful to see. Uh, It's not like I haven't seen slums. I grew up in India. But it was so painful again to see slums and the dignity of man reduced to nothing. There was one woman who gave birth, uh, or miscarried and gave birth to a six-month-old baby. And now she wants the baby blessed be- before she can bury it, and she's carrying the baby in a bag that we would probably go to TNT with because she does not have a box. She's scared to tell her parents because her parents may not like the fact that she was a teenager and got pregnant. So she's carrying it in a bag you would think she went shopping she's going from place to place wanting to have the baby buried first prayed for blessed before it's buried The questions that are being asked of her is, why didn't you put it in a box? Don't you have enough sense to put it in a box? She's bleeding. She's just had this dead baby in her arms. And they're asking her questions like that. I'm watching it and I'm thinking, Father, where is the dignity of man? And I've read the scripture which says that you clothed us with honor and with glory. Oh my God, what have we lost? Eden's dawn light was what we were clothed with. Which is why in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, it says, For a while you have been made lower than angels. And everything was put in your charge. You were given dominion. It's a Genesis charge. And then it says, Christ came and he lived right. And a time is coming when we will once again become like the one we behold. 1 John 3, 2, thank God it's coming. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 Uh, verse 2 and 3 says but a day is coming when we will be changed and we will possess the same glory that he has and anyone who thinks like this purifies himself that even thinking of what we were and what we will now become purifies you let's actually read it First John 3, 2 and 3. Oh, 1, 2 and 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. How do you think Adam and Eve had the ability to walk with God in the cool of the garden? And why does it say that we cannot approach him because he lives in unapproachable light? Because things changed, but it's going to come back to where it used to be, man. And then it says in verse 3, everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. beautifully." Eh? So how can I be governed by majesty this week? How can I be governed by majesty this week? Guys, uh, if you want to be governed by anything, good or bad, eh, doesn't matter. Your pick, either um, good things or bad things. If you want to be governed by majesty or governed by evil or governed by shame or governed by confidence, whatever you want to be governed by, first by beholding and then by being. Both these precede doing. Most people go for the doing first. They say, all right, I've got to become this. I've got to go do. No, you, you, you do not become anything till you behold. And once you behold, you become. And once you become, you do. So how can I be governed by majesty this week? By beholding and being. Uh, what does that look like? Colossians 3.1 is where we can start. Colossians 3.1. And here's what Paul says to the church in uh, Colossus. He says, hey, guys, set your mind and set your heart on things above. Because that's where the action is. That's how the message puts it. The NIV puts it plainly and yet carries a whole lot of weight. Um, Colossians 3.1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So one of the first things we do, guys, if you want to go down this route, is you have to deliberately set your mind and your heart on things above. How do you do that? By beginning to like what you are running after. You cannot set your mind and heart on anything that you don't really want or you don't really like. My heart and mind is set on 7.30 p.m. today. Why? Because I want them to go up 3-zip. So if you have a meeting with me at 7.30 today, you can sit there, but you won't have my heart and mind. Because it's set somewhere else. You set your heart and mind. It's a very intentional, very deliberate action. Do you want to be governed by majesty this week set your heart and mind on where the action is as um, the, the message says or set your heart and mind on things above as in oh god i want to begin to comprehend what majesty is this week Colossians 3:1 is where you start and then thereafter you go to 2 Peter 1:16 to 18 2 Peter 1:16 to 18 There's someone I'm supposed to meet at 7 p.m. today. They must be watching and thinking, ah, shucks, he's not going to be paying attention. Don't worry, I'll finish the meeting in half an hour. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18. Oh, shucks, I got a text too. (laughs) I thought we were meeting, not watching hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18 talks about how the disciples, Peter, John, and James, were, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And they heard the voice of God. They climbed the mountain with him. They were eyewitnesses to his majesty, and they heard the voice of God. Climb the mountain this week, man. Which mountain? Not grouse. Climb the mountain as in go climbing up... Um, the Word, literally, and say, Father, I want to both see you and hear you through the Word. One of the ways we can see Jesus this week is read him in the Gospels. Majesty is revealed through the Gospels because majesty is revealed through Jesus. Jesus is the invisible image of the invisible God. This week, do one of two things. Either begin to read different portions from all four Gospels or decide that I'm going to take the book of John and over the next seven days, finish reading it from chapter 1 to chapter 20. 21. 20. 21? 21. Chapter 1 to chapter 21. Three chapters a day or 21 chapters a day. Seven times over. It's up to you. But begin to read it because in the Gospels you will see Christ, the Anointed One, the Prince, the Majesty, the King of Kings revealed. And that is one way to catch who God is. You and I can't go up the Mount of Transfiguration anymore. But you and I can go up the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James and John and come back with a greater understanding than Peter James and John did, because they wanted to build them tents up on the mountain, saying, "Do you, do you Elijah and Moses want to stay here?" They were pretty dull men. The third way is in Colossians, sorry, Second Corinthians 3:18. Again, it's the whole idea of beholding. Second Corinthians 3:18. it says and we with unveiled faces now behold him and as we behold him we are changed from one brightness to the other one glory to greater glory by the spirit and we begin to reflect his majesty guys in your worship this week i know we're doing different homework every week this week's homework is hey let's catch a glimpse of his majesty let's do it by beholding and becoming and let's do it through the gospels and let us do it through going to him and saying okay As I wake up right now, I want to behold your majesty. Guys, whatever you behold, you become. Either to your restoration or to your ruin. Whatever you behold, you become. Either to your restoration or to your ruin. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that you behold? What is the first thing that you think of? It is what you become. If you think of shame, if you think of fear, if you think of your debt, if you think of how difficult life is, if you think of whatever is ailing you, Then over the day, you begin to be changed from shame to shame, pain to pain, not glory to glory, but fear to fear. Who do you behold? Learn the practice of beholding him in your pain, in your lack, in your confusion. Learn to behold him. Learn to behold him, because what you behold is what you become. Which is why in Isaiah, God keeps saying to Israel, Hey, you keep beholding those idols that you have made, you will become like them. This is why one of the conditions of idolatry is deafness, dumbness, and dullness. They have become dumb like their idols. Nations that have idol worship will always have "Uh, uh, 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 a... a a cloud of dullness, dumbness and deafness when it comes to things of God it is one of the hardest things to penetrate, it's almost catatonic where people are not able to understand and break out of the dullness because of years and years of idol worship any questions? I still have time guys I hope that watch is right Hey, did he did he tell you this goes on forever? He didn't, eh? Thank. Evan, you should have told them. It doesn't go on forever, but it goes on for long. The worship leader takes forever. Any questions? Okay, what does it look like to live out majesty on earth? What does it look like to live out majesty on earth? What does it look like to live out majesty on earth? One of the best ways to look at what it looks like is to look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you realize, ah, shucks. So this is what majesty looks like on earth. It's strange. Here is the one who lives in unapproachable light. Here is the one they call Yahweh, the self-existent one. And yet in Isaiah 53 verse 2, it says, he had no beauty or majesty in him. How odd, man. How does this, who, how does he who is so majestic that he cannot be approached come to the earth? And when he comes to the earth, they say of him that in He had no beauty or majesty in him. And there was nothing attractive about him. That's the first thing you need to realize. Majesty does not mean attractiveness. It has nothing to do with uh, the outer appearance. Which is why the only people who saw him in his brilliance were Peter, James, and John, the ones closest to him because he knew he could trust them to keep it quiet. And they did keep it quiet. With God, majesty and meekness are inseparable. They are two sides of this divine coin. With God, majesty and meekness are inseparable. They are two sides of of the divine coin. You cannot separate it. Uh, uh, Graham Kendrick, most of you don't know him because he used to write brilliant songs before you were born. Uh, Like, uh, shine, Jesus, shine. Uh, That's exactly what I said. You wouldn't know. So... (laughs) he he writes this song called meekness and majesty and I've just taken some lines out of it listen to this eh? meekness and majesty in perfect harmony kneels in humility and washes our feet lord of infinity stooping so tenderly lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne I'll read it again brilliant words man meekness and majesty in perfect harmony kneels in humility and washes our feet lord of infinity stooping so tenderly lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne graham kendrick in matthew 21 verse 5 you see this happening eh i mean the sad thing is christians choose one or the other christians either choose we are kings we are sons of kings we are majestic look at us look at us and then there's the other group of christians who say. We are just meek, we are weak, we are just uh, uh, made uh, strong in our weakness. And you have either one or the other, and it's neither, it's both. You can't have one or the other. So you got this strength and weakness bunch of Christians, and you got this strength and look how majestic I am Christians. And it's neither, it's both. One is completely poverty mentality. One is completely prosperity mentality. And both are extremes. You see him in Matthew 21 verse five, majesty comes riding in meekness on a donkey. (laughs) They're shouting, the pilgrims are on their way up the ascent to the temple in Jerusalem. And they're taking off their outer garments and waving palm fronds and placing it before him and this majesty and he knows the moment he knows Zechariah 9.9 9. majesty comes riding in meekness on a donkey that's how he begins his triumphal entry that's in 21 verse 5 but then in twenty one thirteen, you see him exerting such authority and power when he begins to cleanse the temple of extortionists and Corrupt religious leaders. That's one thing majesty does. say Majesty cannot stand corrupt religion. You take all the prophets. You take Jesus. You take Paul. They could never stand for religion. Any trapping of religion. They hated it and they paid a cost for it ezekiel could have done well jeremiah could have done well jesus could have done brilliantly he wouldn't have had to be crucified paul could have done well but none of them would keep quiet when it came to religion any trapping of religion it doesn't matter if that religion had to do with peter paul would still call it out have a hatred for the very thing that put christ on the cross And so not only does majesty now take a whip and cleanse the temple from extortionists and the corrupt religious leadership, after that, guess what he does? After cleansing the temple, he invites the blind and the lame in. That's in. verse. <laughs> that's in verse 14, where the same majesty now stoops, invites the blind and the crippled, and he stoops to heal them. And then in verse 15, It is the young, the children that are running around shouting Hosanna and they silence the opposition. Let me end. So why me? Why should I be involved in this? Why should I get involved in this whole majesty thing? Because the all-powerful God chooses words spoken by his children as the means of his majestic victories. Let me say that again the all-powerful God who could, with a blast of his nostrils or with a simple thought, do whatever he wants to on the earth. That powerful God chooses the words of his children, words spoken by his children, as the means of victory. You you can't underestimate this. Guys, the thing is, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength to silence the enemies. We are back in Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 1 says... Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have ordained or established strength to silence the enemy. This God decides that the way I'm going to thrash the enemy is through the words spoken by my children, regardless of how grown up, how mature or immature they are. It is their words I will use to silence the enemy. We talked about this last week. Your spirit man is connected to your vocal cords. Your spirit man is connected to your vocal cords. Do not allow your culture, your denomination, your shyness, your introversion, your laziness, your spiritual sluggishness prevent you from speaking out things on behalf of God. He goes on to verse 5 to 8 in Psalm 8. Look at what he says there. So the first thing is, listen, I'll bring an end to the enemy's works and silence him through the words spoken by babies and infants. And this is a cool thing. Jesus now has children running around. The message in the Passion Version puts it that the children were running around Jesus shouting hosannas, and the leaders and the Pharisees and the scribes came and said, won't you stop them? And Jesus said, out of the mouth of babes and infants, I have ordained strength that will silence the enemy. And guess what happens? The entire religious establishment goes silent. Hey, you young guys, and when I say young guys, I'm talking about anyone under 45. You young guys, you need to speak. You need to speak. Because this thing must be carried by you. We older guys are discovering this very late in our lives. You need to speak, man. You need to speak during times of worship. You need to speak especially during not times of worship. Because you only worship two hours a week. Because this thing either succeeds or falls based on how we respond. God does not break protocol when it comes to how we want to do something. He doesn't say, Shaq's not working, let's forget this, let's go to plan B. God has never had a plan B. Can you imagine that? He's never had a plan B. You know why he does not have a plan B? Because he knows what's going to happen even before the earth was founded. He knows everything. He never has a plan B. Eden is exactly where we will return to. This earth will be made new and we will stay here. Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth. God does everything new but everything is old. Tomorrow is a new day, but he already knows everything about that day with regard to every insect, every cockroach, every human being, every leaf, every earthworm, every bird. He knows everything about everyone doing everything tomorrow, and tomorrow hasn't yet come, and tomorrow will be a new day like never before, but it is a day that has already existed before the foundation of time. This is nuts, man. Speak. You guys have to speak. Verse 5 to 8. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Talking about man, you made him ruler with the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the fish of the seas, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There is this idea where in verse six it says, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. I want you to know that God majestic will choose to rule the earth again through his weak and foolish body of redeemed man god is not going to rule through the angels god is planning and he will succeed let me assure you of this god is planning and he will succeed in ruling the earth through weak foolish people like you so when i wake up In the week that has gone by and hear God saying, Jacob, you're a life giver. I write it down. And you can ask anybody I prayed for this week. In every prayer you would hear me say, oh God, you're a life giver and I speak life. Why? Because if God has said it, then I must speak it because I must agree with heaven because God wants to do something through the words that we speak. And he rules on earth in every situation and tries to steward it, change it, bring it to his advantage and to your benefit through his redeemed body. Through you he does it. This is not dominion. This is not some kind of weird stewardship. It is just a fact of life. This is how God does it. Who brought down powers during the time of Daniel? Duh, Daniel. Who brought down powers and changed the track of nations during the time of the prophets? The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Who brought the bones in the valley alive? It is God, but through whom? Through people. Who brings Ephesus to a standstill? Paul. Of whom did they say the troublers are here, they are changing the world around? Christians. They call them the people of the way. Who are these things done through for ages? Who brought down the iron wall in Russia? Old grandmas and grandpas who nobody saw that prayed for 40 years. Some of them include Gisela, Chris's mom. Who brought you into salvation? God, but through someone. Almost nobody here received a straight vision from Jesus saying, I am he, come now be saved. So that happens too. At the end of the day, the earth is ruled through ordinary people like Brandon, Prashanth, and Rachel. This is how he's ordained it. You see this unfold in Moses' life, huh? This is a pattern. Please hold on to this pattern. So Moses now... um, has desired decided that i'm going to retire at 40 i'm done with this uh, prince of egypt thing and i'm done so he's taking care of his sheep quite happy um, and then he has an encounter with majesty and this time it's a real encounter with majesty (laughs) because in the middle of a desert this bush suddenly bursts into flames and there's a voice that's coming out of the bush and he knows that he has now encountered majesty that's exodus chapter 3 verse 14 the rest of the uh, the next chapter, Exodus 4, is spent haggling with God. I'm not the right guy. Yes, you're the right guy. I'm not the right guy. Yes, you are the right guy. I'm not the right guy. I said you're the right guy. Okay, I'm the right guy. And so Exodus 4 is just spent haggling with God. Go through that. Because sometimes the things that God says, if you, the moment God says something, if you can accept it without any problem, it perhaps is not God. It's usually overwhelming. And so exodus 4 is spent that way exodus 5 moses decides well if god is saying so i'll go so guess what he does he goes back to egypt the results are very discouraging he goes speaks to pharaoh pharaoh says no way jose and then no he says no way mose and then he goes and gives them more bricks to make and so now they're just making more bricks and they're very upset and they tell moses don't come back here And so normally Exodus 6 is spent with Moses basically um, regretting what he's done. And then Exodus 7 opens with such a cool line. Exodus 7, 1. It it just is theology that will blow theology away. Here's what God says to Moses. Hey, I want you to know that you will be like God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, you will be Moses' prophet. That's what God says to him. You will be like God to Pharaoh. Now, you're talking about the king of the most powerful empire in the world. You're talking about a kingdom that had some of the most powerful gods. And you're talking about a reluctant, stammering, retired shepherd who is now sent with words to dismantle the world's most powerful nation and the world's most powerful gods. And one by one, the plagues begin to unseat the gods of Egypt, done through a reluctant, stammering, retired shepherd. This is the nature of everything God does. Why? So that 2 Corinthians 4, 7 may come to pass. So that you may recognize that it is the incomparable power of God that is at work and that you may not be Enamored by these jars of clay that are wearing away. 2 Corinthians four, seven. I said I was concluding and I meant it. This week, guys, discover his majesty. You know, Israel uh, had this cool uh, way of encouraging themselves. Um. Whenever they went on a long journey or whenever they went into battle, they would carry the ark on their shoulders. And the ark was a sign of God's glory and majesty. The Philistines were so scared of it that in 1 Samuel 6, the Philistines say, what are we going to do? Isn't this the same God that defeated the gods of Egypt? What are we going to do? And they begin to panic. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 4, before Jericho falls, it's the ark that goes out ahead. When the ark is taken by the Philistines, guess what Eli does? He falls and dies. And they name the baby that is born to his daughter-in-law. Ichabod, meaning the glory or majesty has disappeared. It's gone. They knew that the ark or the the presence of glory and majesty that they carried on the shoulder was so encouraging during their journeys and during their battles. You begin to... grasp these large panoramic views of majesty this week and when you begin to get governed by it you will find that you have bread for the journey and you have a song in your heart during the battle man not a song in your heart the shout of the king